Good morning, Real Life family. I am so happy to be bringing you the Sunday morning message today. You know, Pastor Tim and his family are on a nice long Florida vacation, so you've got me for the next two weeks. Hopefully they bring back some of the warmth and sunshine with them. That'd be really awesome. It has been a minute since I have had the honor and the privilege of bringing you the Sunday morning message, but you know that I am super excited to do so because it doesn't really take much, right? But before I begin, I just want to introduce myself for those of you who might not know me. My name my name is Megan Fondren, and I always like to give a little disclaimer when I'm asked to preach because I just want to make it very, very clear that I'm just a regular person. I have a regular secular job right here in Montrose. Um, I don't have any formal Bible school training. I've never been to seminary. I don't have any theological degree or anything like that. Everything that I know about God and His Word and the Holy Spirit is because of the Holy Spirit in me and through me, through his word, me just getting in and digging in, having great mentors in my life, reading books to learn more about Jesus, but most importantly, diving into his word. And I always like to preface my sermons that God gives me by saying that because if a regular person like me is called and asked by God to do something like this, you are also asked and called by God to do something. I am a firm believer that we are all made by God on purpose for a purpose and that we come alive when we use our gifts and our talents that God put in us to bring him glory and then we end up getting blessed because of it and being obedient in it and I love that old saying because it is so true for me and I know it is for most of you too that God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called so I just hope that encourages you this morning and I am so excited like I said to talk about Romans chapter 7 today and I have been praying for you for a long time that you will receive what God has to say to you through me and that your heart is changed today and we just know and we trust and we believe that God's word does not return void that it goes out and accomplishes his will and the purpose for which he sent it so let's dive right in starting with prayer always God we just thank you so much for today Thank you for this fresh view of the book of Romans and, and for the such uh, more in-depth knowledge that we're getting and more understanding and revelation that we're receiving about what we have in you and through you. So God, I just pray today that we are more inspired than ever to share what we have with others. And as always, God, I just pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation for each of us today so that we may know you more and the hope to which you have called us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the series that we've been in the last several weeks is on a study in Romans. And I have to be honest with you, when Pastor Tim announced, you know, a long time ago, it seems now, that we would be going, that we were going to be spending several weeks in the book of Romans, just studying the book of Romans, I was kind of disappointed. And I remember thinking to myself that this sounds a little boring. You know, Pastor Tim has had so many great sermon series. Why in the world would we focus so much of our time on one book of the Bible? But if you've been with us through this journey, I think you can agree with me that I have totally eaten my words because, man, Romans has been a game changer, a life changer. And I can now say that this is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and Paul is definitely one of my favorite people of all time. But if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, or maybe you have and you just would appreciate a recap anyway, I want to quickly recap this series. So we've got Paul, 
who used to be Saul. And at the time, Saul was this zealot of a Jew who thought that he was doing God's work by going around killing Christians. You see, he had this, this twisted idea that he was so thorough thoroughly taught in God's law and he knew what it meant to be righteous, that he felt that he had to come against anybody who thought differently than his interpretation of this law. He was the self-righteous guy and he thought that he was truly doing God's work by going around and killing Christians because Christians were the most blasphemous against the way that Paul, or at the time Saul, thought that the law should be upheld. So again, he was killing these Christians until, if you remember, and this story can be found in um, the book of Acts in the Bible, Saul at the time was on the road to Damascus and he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and it changed his life. And it reminds me of when we have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus because Jesus doesn't physically, literally step down from heaven any longer because he left us the Holy Spirit so that we could be his representatives and his ambassadors. And now it's up to us for people to have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Because just like with Saul at the time, when he had that encounter with Jesus and it changed his life, he got a completely new identity. He even got a new name. His name went from Saul to Paul, and his new mission in life, instead of killing Christians and persecuting Jesus' church, he now became an ambassador and a preacher of the gospel. And that is so exciting. But the thing is, the gospel, when you, when you hear those two words together, it almost can sound a little intimidating or like maybe super spiritual or something like that. But when you think about it, the gospel is simply the good news about what Jesus has done for us. And being told and being asked and being called to go share the gospel or preach the gospel, it sounds like it should take somebody who is qualified, who has credentials to do so, who has experience, a thorough knowledge of what the Bible says, before you can go out and share the gospel or the good news. But the fact of the matter is the Bible is clear that we are all called to be his ambassadors. We are all called to take this good news to the ends of the earth and share Jesus with people in our lives. That goes back to the fact that you are called. And because you are called, God will qualify you and he will equip you. Saul, who became Paul, had no idea the true meaning of what it was to be a Christian until his encounter with Jesus and God took care of the rest. So that is so exciting. So again, you can read about that in, in Acts, but then the whole book of Romans sums up this gospel message, and it's actually Paul writing a letter to these Romans. And we can find out the purpose of this letter from Romans 1.11 that says uh, he was writing this letter to impart some spiritual gift that will empower Christians to stand strong in the faith. And so Romans chapter 1 and 2, they kind of set the scene in what I imagine to be like a, a courthouse or a courtroom actually type setting where you've got this perfect, just judge presiding over this criminal case of a truly guilty people, both Jews and Gentiles alike, which is us, you know, it's all of us in our sin. And it doesn't look so good, you know, in this courtroom, we're out of luck because we're, we're guilty. I mean, this, this righteous, perfect judge, which is God, he is good and he is just and he is perfect and he requires righteousness of us and we just can't live up to that expectation. You know, he gave us the law as the standard of that righteousness, but we fail to meet that standard, which, you know, this means that we are in sin 
Because remember, sin doesn't mean going out doing all these bad things or being a bad person. Sin means that you're simply missing the mark and that you're falling short of God's standard of righteousness, which means that if you're a really good person and you've never done anything bad in your life, you're still a sinner because you have not met the requirement of God's law, which is pretty sad for us and pretty hopeless it seems hopeless anyway, because we find from Romans chapters 1 and 2 that the wages or the cost of that sin is death. But thank God that the gospel, this epic love story, the greatest love story that was ever written, was not meant to stop at chapters 1 and 2. Because then we get into chapter 3 and we see how God never sent this law to show us how to become righteous in our own efforts, but it was to show us that we can't be righteous on our own. We need a Savior, and that Savior has a name, and that name is Jesus, and He alone fulfills every expectation and every requirement of the law. And now the only thing that we have to do is put our faith in him. And now we become righteous in God's eyes. But guys, it is so vital to understand that this righteousness that we now have, it is not because of something we have done. It's because of his faithfulness through his great love for us that he sent his son in our place to take on the burden of this perfect law and to take on the punishment and the payment for the sin that was ours to begin with in the first place. And that's why that Romans blows my mind that love like this exists. It is, it is amazing. It's freeing. It's redeeming. It's life-changing. And it's for you. And if you don't know this love, it has also been my prayer this week that you will encounter love this week and just surrender your heart and put your faith in Jesus because he's awesome. So anyway, we're going to move into chapter four. Quick summary. We learned there that um, more about what this faith means and what it means to put our faith in Jesus through learning a little bit more about Abraham. And instead of being justified by his works, the Bible tells us that Abraham, he just believed God, meaning he had faith despite his circumstance. You see, God promised Abraham that he was going to build a blessed nation through his descendants. But Abraham was super old and his wife was super old and the circumstance looked like that wasn't going to happen because they were way beyond childbearing years. But Abraham still believed God despite his circumstance. And the Bible tells us that that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. That was from Romans 4, 3. And then Hebrews 11, 1 actually defines faith for us. And it says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. So faith is more than, than just you know, knowing faith is, or faith is more than just believing. It's more than just trusting. It is knowing. It's knowing that even if the physical realm doesn't line up with the hope that you have. So then we move on into chapter five and we see because of our faith that we can triumph in anything. And, and we find that Christ took the place of the curse that we were born into and we get to exchange that curse for a crown of glory and blessings because of our faith. And then last week in chapter six, we see that we, which we, I mean, our flesh and our propensity towards sin has been crucified with Christ. And I love how Galatians 2.20 puts it, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So every label 
and every curse that comes along with a sinful life is now dead and gone and we can live alive in Christ and all walk in all the blessings and the truth that a life in him promises us. Because Christ live, we are alive and we are no longer slaves to sin. So that's all the good news so far that we've learned from chapters 1 through 6 of Romans, which brings us to today's message on Romans chapter 7. So I hope you're ready. This is another um, heavy chapter, and it focuses on the dilemma of us striving to be good yet falling short. You know, it, it focuses on how we try and we try and we try to do the right thing, but we either keep messing it up, we fall short, or we're just going about it all the wrong way. So we're going to be talking about how we can finally be good and stop sinning. And if we you know, break it down into a few points, which is what I'm going to do for us here in a minute. Um, but first, I would just want to give you a glimpse on the ending because this is another seemingly hopeless chapter until the very end and the very last sentence because there is good news. We are not meant to be the one to do anything. We are not meant to strive or to try. So remember that as we dive into Romans chapter 7 today. So point number one, I just want to review the law, you know, both what it is and the purpose that it holds. And Romans seven twelve tells us, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So the law is God's just requirement for what it takes for us to be made right in him. And remember that God, he is perfect. He is holy. He is merciful. He is just. He is worthy. He is love. And he is all these things perfectly all at once in one entity. And sometimes our limited human brains, we can't wrap our head around one being, being all of these things perfectly at one time. But that's where faith comes in. You know, remember what Hebrews 11, 1 tells us that faith is knowing and it's trusting and it's believing because if we can trust that God is all these things at once, when we can accept that, then we can understand that he's the one that gets to decide what it takes to be right in his sight. So this law was designed by him so that the one who followed it would have unrestricted access to him, his presence, and every blessing would be poured upon this, the person who could keep the law. So basically it was just a list of rules, so to speak, that if one were to keep it perfectly, you would be brought righteousness. You would be made righteous in God's eyes. And then the purpose of this law was intended to protect and bring life that produces glorious freedom to the one who kept it perfectly. But we, we cannot fulfill it. We can't keep that law perfectly whatsoever because the law points to what is righteous so that we can understand we are not righteous. And don't think for one second that God didn't know this when he stepped down and he got down in the dirt and started to create and form man in his own image, giving him a free will. God knew that man was going to fail in the garden. God knew that when he gave us this law, that we were never going to be able to uphold it and keep it perfectly. God knew, yet he still, out of his great love for us, created us anyway, but he did it with a redemption story in mind, a plan to redeem us and restore us back into righteousness. And that plan actually includes us dying to this very law that God designed in the first place, which brings me to point number two, as Paul writes to the Romans in chapter seven, verse one, the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. 
So when a person dies, their death ends their obligation to the law. You know, this goes for a physical death, ending an obligation to a physical law, but it also pertains to a spiritual death, ending your obligation to a spiritual law. And for me, I think of it this way. Um, and I like to use, um, just like Jesus, he liked to use parables to help people understand things. I like to apply biblical concepts to like my own life's uh, experiences and things because it helps me have more revelation and just more understanding. So not to air my dad's or my family's dirty laundry or anything, but when I think of it this way, it just helps me understand a little bit better. Because you see, my dad, he, he wasn't good with money, and he was always having these debt collectors calling him, and I just remember so many times as a kid and, and a, a teenager of him never answering his phone to people whose numbers he didn't recognize, you know, because he was evading these debt collectors. And the thing is, though, he still owed the money, and, and he could ignore these calls and ignore the fact that he owed the money all he wanted, but the truth was that he was still legally bound to pay these debts. But when my dad passed away, that legal obligation, he was completely released from it. He was no longer bound to pay back anybody anything. The money was still owed, but my dad's legal obligation was completely gone because of his death. And just a side note, my dad on his literal deathbed gave his heart to Jesus and he is now dancing on the streets of gold in heaven. And I'm sure Jesus would have helped him be better with money during his life here on earth, but it doesn't matter now because where he is at and I get to be there someday with him, looking very much forward to that. But anyway, if the story about this whole debt thing doesn't, doesn't you know, spark any bells or, or bring anything to mind for you, think of, think of prisoners. You know, we've got all those men and women who are incarcerated. You know, they did a crime, they were tried, they were found guilty, and then their penalty was activated by putting them in prison, right? So when that man or woman who is in prison, when they die, they are no longer bound to pay the penalty of their crime. The crime was still committed, but the legal obligation that they owe is now gone. And then Paul, he uses the example of marriage here in Romans chapter 7, which on a side note, I feel like this is just a beautiful thing anyway, uh, the concept of God using so often in his word, the concept of marriage, because there's no earthly relationship that we'll ever experience that is more intimate than um, you know marriage. And I think that's why God uses that example so much when he talks about the relationship and the intimacy that he desires with us. But that would be like a whole sermon series in and of itself. But anyway, Paul uses the example of marriage here to explain how the law doesn't govern us any longer. That if a woman is married to a man and she has sexual relations with another man, because of what the law says, she's an adulteress, you know, because the law says that she's married to this man. So if she goes out on him because the law says that it's wrong, she's guilty. But then in verse number three, if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So then Paul goes on to talk about in verse four that the same principle can be applied to our relationship with God because we have been crucified with Christ. So it says we are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead so that we may now bear spiritual fruit for God. So whew, this is good stuff. This is heavy stuff. And thank God that because Christ took the burden of the impossible yet perfect law, he submitted and he died. We have also 
died to it. And so we are no longer obligated to fulfill it. This should breathe a breath of fresh air into your soul today. This is good news. And it brings me to point number three, that by dying to the law, we now arise in a new life in the spirit. That's exciting. So in a sense, when we turn our lives over to Jesus, we die to our first husband, which would be our flesh or the law, and we are now raised to new life and are bound to our new husband, which would be Jesus in a spiritual sense. And it's all because of what Jesus did. He brought heaven's spirit realm down, and he brought his plan of redemption down into our physical flesh lives. So now that allows us to serve him in a completely new way, in a, in a spiritual way. The old way of the flesh and the law is gone. And I love, again, I keep quoting it, but it's such a great verse. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way, that I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. This is deep stuff, you guys. And he doesn't literally physically live within us. It's, it's all a spiritual thing. And, and Paul covers that in more detail in the next chapter, which we're going to spend all of next week talking about. So come on back because it gets really, really good. I mean, every chapter of this book is so good, but we'll explain more of the spirit realm next week. But understand this, because of what Jesus did, we are dead to sin. We are released from the burden of doing, and we are now alive in Christ. That's exciting. And then, of course, with all this knowledge now, we understand that there is a good and perfect law. We can never uphold it, and that's okay because we were never meant to in our own strength. So we've got to understand that because now I want to spend a little bit time on point number four because there's this struggle that we all face. You know, there's this war between our flesh and our spirit. We want so badly to do what is good, but then we keep messing it up. And to be honest, it's all because of this law in the first place. Because as Paul describes so much in Romans 7, that this good law, which again, hopefully by now you understand and, and agree that it is good and perfect, but Paul describes how this actually exposes our sin. In Romans 7, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. And then in a few verses prior to this, something we can all relate to, Paul writes, verse 5, When we were merely living natural lives, the law, through defining sin, actually awakened sinful desires within us, which resulted in bearing the fruit of death. <laughs> when we know something is wrong, we just want to keep doing it. Do you remember the story? I hope Pastor Tim shared this story with you guys um, you know, on, online because he shared it with us in church when he was talking about it. But if you don't know the story, I'll just recap for you. He was at a birthday party for his toddler nephew years ago when he was turning two. And you know, the mom brought out the cake and put the cake down right in front of this toddler. And nobody was paying much attention except Pastor Tim. And this toddler just took his finger and he took a nice big chunk of frosting right off that cake and put it in his mouth. And you know, Pastor Tim tattled on him and told his dad. And the dad, he told the kid, no. And when that no was established, it was like that dad was laying down the law and he then defined the sin for this little guy. So now that little guy knew that it was wrong to stick his finger in his cake. It didn't stop him because as Pastor Tim's story goes, you know, the next time that this little guy tried to do it, he just made sure to look around that nobody was watching and he still stuck his finger in the cake, right? So how many of us know that sticking your finger in the cake frosting is wrong, yet we keep going back and doing it? Or we get tempted to do it so that's all we can think about sometimes, you know? 
but you know, it's, it's in our lives, it's just so much heavier than cake frosting, right? I mean, it's, it's that bottle of alcohol or the bottle of pills or the marijuana or anything that, that you're using to, to numb the pain or to hide from life. You know, it could be porn or, or anger issues. It could be gossip. It could be any number of things. Fill in the blank here. It's all funny and cute when we're talking about a toddler with cake frosting, but it's sobering when we think about the real sin that causes real destruction and destroys real relationships in our lives. And that law, man, if we didn't know that that law existed, wouldn't we be better off not knowing that we were wrong in the first place? And Paul can relate in verses 8 and 9 when he says, For apart from the law, sin was dead. We didn't know that sin was wrong until something came along and defined it. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. In verse 11, the commandment that was intended to bring life brought me death instead. This law, it's, it's a heavy burden to us. But the problem is not with the law. You know, by now I hope that you realize that and agree with me that it is perfect and it is good. We've already made that perfectly clear. So it's not the law that is bad then. It's the sinner. And it's that sinner not being able to fulfill that law. And I can't reiterate enough that, that this law was meant to bring life to the one who was obedient to it. But guys, that one was only Jesus. For the rest of us, it just leads to this perpetuation of, of sin because of our earth, earthly flesh. Verse 14 says, For we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm, but I am a human being made flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. And this is what leads to so much struggle between our flesh and our spirit. And I actually want to read to you a whole passage that Paul wrote because I think you'll be able to relate to it every word that he speaks. At least I can. It's Romans 7, verses 15 through 24. And it says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin that's living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I love that part where he says, what a wretched man I am. I can relate to every word that he spoke in that passage because what are we to do? And for me, honestly, sometimes I want to go stick my head in the sand about it because it kind of makes me a little dizzy to try to wrap my head around the fact that I have to be good, but all I want to think about is all these things that are bad, and then I try to do good, but then I fail, and then that makes me feel guilty, and it's this vicious cycle. So if I just go stick my head in the sand, I can ignore it and be fine. But that reminds me of this story that I heard about a missionary to China. And I don't remember all the details, but the point of the story was this, that this missionary went to this small village in China 
and these villagers thought that it would be a good idea for this holy missionary guy to go and meet their village holy man. So the missionary's like, yeah, take me to him. Let's go meet him. So it was kind of weird because the villagers start leading this missionary up this super tall mountain and they get to the top of this mountain to this tiny little secluded shack and they find this holy man isolated by himself in this self-made prison of sorts because, you know, this holy man, he'd walled himself off and secluded himself and isolated himself, completely cut himself off from the rest of society and other human beings because he was trying so hard to be holy. And he knew that if he just took himself away from the temptation or the place where that sin and that unholiness was defined in the first place, maybe he could obtain that ultimate holiness that he had been searching for. But here is where the problem lies with self. I mean, this guy was completely, completely alone. He was isolated, yet he still had that same sinful heart. Yes, he took himself out of the temptation, but the heart was still the same, and that's no way to live. Yet so many of us do. Even as Christians, we get caught up in, in trying to live up to these expectations of the law still because we think that doing is what makes us good and acceptable in God's eyes. But this just leads to legalism, and it leads to self-righteousness, and then it leads to turning people off to God's truth and God's love because we have this tendency to pervert the true intention of the law because much like Paul when he used to be Saul, we misinterpret how that law is supposed to be fulfilled. And guys, this is why this is such good news that we are meant to die to the burden of the law because we think that we are responsible to adhere to it when, when really only Jesus can and has and only ever will. And so now it's by our faith in Jesus that we are made righteous because trying is powerless and, and trying does not bring freedom from sin. Maybe have you been trying? Probably. And have you been failing? Probably. And doing it this way just leaves you bound to sin. It leaves you bound to the alcohol, bound to the drugs, bound to that porn, bound to that anger issue, bound to the lies, bound to the gossip, you know, et cetera, et cetera here. But the thing is, you don't have to do more. You can't do more in your own strength. You can't read your Bible more. You can't go to church more. You can't listen to more good podcasts. You can't be better by yourself. You can't try and try in your own strength. These are all good things, but trying in your own strength is only going to tire you out and it's still not going to please God or bring him glory. It's by submitting to the spirit that this happens. Seek first. The Bible tells us in Matthew, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. And I can't explain exactly how it happens. This is totally a God thing and a spirit thing. But when you truly do seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, rather than trying to be self-righteous, all of a sudden, when you read your Bible, these words come alive because this word is alive and active. All of a sudden, when you pray, it's not just checking something off your list because you know it's good to pray and that's what good people do. No, it becomes this two-way conversation with your father. Father. 
You know, and then when you do go to church, it's not because you can check it off because that's the good thing to do for the week. No, it's because you are hungry for more and you have a gift to bring to serve others in the church and to further God's kingdom. And then all of a sudden, all those, the things that are bad about you, the sin that your flesh is struggling with, it just doesn't matter anymore. The alcohol, you don't crave it as much. The drugs, they're not the ones that satisfy you or numb your pain anymore because that pain is now covered and died to when Jesus died. And now you have a life of freedom and fullness in Christ. You have joy unspeakable that's full of glory. You have peace that passes understanding. You have somebody walking with you through the valley. You have somebody bringing you through the storm. I can't explain how it happens, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. A spirit-led life brings true life, but a flesh-led life doesn't bring life at all. It just brings death because our flesh has sinful nature in and of itself. So submit your trying to Jesus today and see what happens. And you know, Carrie and I, um, we've been doing something recently and stepping out in faith uh, in something that God actually asked us to do about five years ago. And one thing after another just prevented us from, from actually being obedient in it. And looking back, I think it was that we both had some growing and, and maturing to do. But anyway, we're starting a podcast and it's called Less of Me. And it's all about doing life through the power of the Holy Spirit instead of self. And I love our tagline because it says, try again this time with Jesus. Because on our own, it's too much. It's too much pressure. It's too hard to be good all the time. It's, there's too many rules that I want to break, too many rules that I keep thinking about breaking or rules that I don't know good enough, I don't understand enough, that I, I'm afraid I'm going to break them. I can't handle this pressure in and of myself. But thank God that Paul finishes his letter with verse 25 when he says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So let go of your guilt. Let go of your shame, you're striving, you're trying. Try again in this time with Jesus. And if you don't know this Jesus, whose love paid the ultimate price for you, whose love for you, he stepped down from his throne in heaven because he's the creator of the universe. And he stepped down into this earth and he literally on his physical body bore our sin, bore the curse that was ours to begin with and fulfilled this perfect law, which was God's requirement of righteousness. He's the one that did that for you. And if you don't know him, I just want to pray for you right now. And if you want to get to know him so that you can release this striving and this trying in life and just submit to him and receive what he has for you, which is real abundant life. I just want you to close your eyes, bow your head and, and pray this prayer after me. Just say, Jesus, thank you for taking my burden. Thank you for taking my sin and my curse. Thank you for paying the price so that I could be righteous in God's eyes. And I now confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are Lord and that you were raised from the dead. And now Jesus, I want to be raised to new life in you. Teach me, guide me, mold me. I love you in Jesus name. Amen.
Guys, if you prayed that prayer, you are now part of an amazing, eternal spiritual family. Let us know in the comments. Call the church. Get a hold of us on our Facebook page or our webpage. We want to equip you because, again, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called, and you have a calling on your life. So get a hold of us so that we can come alongside you, and God can use us to help equip you for this new life in Christ. And if you already know the Savior, God wants to take you to the next step and the next next level in your relationship with him. And if you don't know where to start, I encourage you to come to church on a Sunday morning or get a hold of us again so that we can come alongside you and build each other up as iron sharpens iron. So two people sharpen each other and we can help and guide each other. Thank you so much for having me. I will see you all next week. Have a blessed day.